the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With a reasonable answer for the hope that lies within us, this is Contending for the Faith with Dr. Jerry Buckner. We would invite you to join us for the next hour at 888-FORKFAX. That's 888-367-5329. And now, to introduce Dr. Jerry Buckner, here's Gary Bell. Well, good evening and welcome to another exciting edition of Contending for the Faith. We're the cutting-edge Christian apologetic ministry addressing the issues and challenges facing today's church. And ladies and gentlemen, we are live, live for the next hour with your host, Bay Area pastor, lecturer, counselor, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. My name is Gary Bell, and we're inviting you to call in with your questions, comments, and concerns. Our toll-free number is 1-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's one 888 367-5329. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and let us know what's on your mind. Now is the time to call. Don't wait till the end of the broadcast. We only have two minutes left in the broadcast to entertain your questions. It's a good idea to call at the top of the hour and uh, we'll be able to provide you with ample time to ask questions and make comments. Again, that number is one 888 Well, tonight, we, breathe, we begin, or actually we are on our second installment in our new series, which is entitled, What Were the Three Responses at the Cross of Christ? And how these three responses relate to us in our world today. People today respond to Christ the same way the two thieves on the cross responded to him. And in the same way, our response to Christ will determine our eternal destiny either to be with Christ or to be separated from Christ into an eternal condemnation in hell. So stay tuned as we launch into this brand new series, for we are not pretending, we are contending for the faith. Dr. Buckner, how are you tonight? Brother Gary, I'm truly blessed, and thank you so much for that wonderful and uh, uplifting introduction. And we want to thank everybody out there in Radio Land for joining us for another edition of Contending for the Faith. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. We know you're going to be blessed by our program tonight. So as Brother Gary said, we want to encourage you to call in early as well as get to a table, get your papers, your pencils, and your pens, and get ready to get fed. Because we know that if people get fed, they will get out of bed. In the name of Jesus. All right. Well, we're going to continue. Like Brother Gary said, we had part two talking about uh, there are three on the cross and three responses on the cross. You know, I have a trivial question I want to ask all of you that are listening to this program tonight. The trivial question is this. See if you can get it. Who crucified Christ? Think about that for a moment. Who crucified Christ? You know, most people today and most Christians today 
when you ask that question, they'll answer it by saying the Romans did or the Jews. Now, that those two uh, answers is partly right. The bigger answer is this. We all crucified him. You said we all crucified him? Yes, because all of our sins demanded that he would go to the cross. And that's the answer to the tribute question. And uh, these three responses are still the same way people respond today uh, to Jesus and the way he responds to them as well. This is tremendous truth. With these two men on the cross, along with Jesus in the middle, and Jesus is in the middle of everything we do. He should be. And if he's not, you're going to have problems in your home. You have problems in your marriage. You have problems in your job. You have problems in life. You're going to have problems uh, in a community, government, uh, life in general. If Jesus is not in the middle of everything we do, the centerpiece of everything we do, your problems are going to escalate and you're going to wish you had put him there. And it's never too late for you to do that if you repent. Now, but these responses uh, on the cross are the same responses we uh, have today with men. And uh, nothing has changed. The thing that needs to change is the wretched and wicked heart of man. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the Hebrews desperately incurably sick. And everybody in the world today will still respond to Jesus the way these two men on the cross responded to Christ. Now, all of these three men on the cross, titles uh, sound alike. I want you to make a note of this. All of these three men on the cross, their titles sound alike. Now, make a note of this as you take your notes tonight. All of these three men on the cross, all of their titles sound alike. And number one, there was the first man on the cross known as the unregenerate or unredeemed man. Make a note of that. Number one, there was the first man on the cross known as the unregenerate or unredeemed man. Now, we got people like that today in our world. <laughs> and sad to say, we got many of them in the churches that have never been born again. Never been born again. I remember uh, George Whitfield, uh, back early in history, was a pastor of a church, and he would preach John chapter 3 to his congregation every Sunday. And his title was, You Must Be Born Again. And you know what? They got so sick of him preaching that every Sunday that the pulpit committee got together and said, George, Pastor George, you need to change your text. We're tired of you preaching that every Sunday. And George Whitfield responded to them by saying, I'll change my text when you've been born again. <laughs> I said, wow, that is pretty powerful right there. Now, the number 
two man, the second man on the cross was known as the regenerate or the redeemed man. The regenerate or redeemed man. Notice how these sound alike. The first man, the unregenerate, unredeemed man. And then the second man, the regenerate or redeemed man. Uh, pretty powerful stuff here in the Lord. And then the third man, number three. Thirdly, there was a third man known as the God man. Remember, he's the God man. And on the cross, in the middle of these two men, he was known as the Redeemer who brought redemption. Notice how all of these sound alike, but they have different meanings. Tonight, I want to talk about the first man on the cross, known as the unregenerate or the unredeemed man. If you turn in your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. And the text says regarding the first man on the cross, who was the unregenerate or the unredeemed man. It says, and one of the malefactors or criminals which were hung, railed on him saying, if thou be, notice he used the word if, take note of the word if, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. What an interesting response. What an interesting response to Jesus. And you know, there's a lot of people like that in our world today. They respond to Jesus the same way. So this first man, the unregenerate, the unredeemed man, uh, in Luke 23 and verse 39, and one of the, one of the criminals, we can compare this to uh, Matthew 27, verse 44, and also compare it to Mark 15 and verse 32. Matthew 27, verse 44, and Mark 15, verse 32. Uh, and report that both criminals at first were mocking Christ along with the crowd. <laughs> you know, it's so easy for uh, us to get influenced by the crowd, by the world. And uh, you got to watch it. You got to be careful. You know, we are to be influenced by God, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. But you can get influenced, have your face more into uh, Facebook than the book of the Bible. You got to really be careful about this world around us. You can be more into politics than the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be more into video games, more into the things of this world, even family, friends. You can even be more into the church than Jesus Christ. You say, the church? Yes. You can be uh, more into the church than Christ. You say, how is that? Well, you know what? Uh, the church work is like going to a restaurant. And if you don't watch it, you can get so filled up on the delicacies that when the main course meal comes, you don't have room for it. And that's what happened one time when I did a a training at a church, one of my home churches in Bakersfield. 
Uh, and I, uh, it was so interesting to me that I did a whole thing on evangelism, spent a whole Saturday teaching on evangelism and uh, checked back with my sister six months later to find out if the church went out to do evangelism. And I teach classes on evangelism at the seminary. I'm a professor at Gateway Seminary, and I teach classes there. I just finished a class on basic evangelism to the students working on their master's degree. And you know, at this church, when I checked back with my sister, she said, brother, we haven't done nothing about witnessing. I said, what's the problem? She said, we're so much into the work of the church that, like you said, we don't have time for the work of Christ. We have meetings every day of the week. And uh, she said, you hit us in the Holy Spirit right between the eyes, challenging us to go out and be the salt and light of the world. And then, you know, Jesus, that's what Jesus told the Pharisees, that your works is is destroying the, the the work of God and this and this is what's happening in our churches today you know and so we see here uh that now this first man on the cross represented the unregenerate and unredeemed world that we face every day in our lives in our homes families communities jobs and sometimes in the world around us and even in the church, sad to say, this first man, this unregenerate man is in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in the government, uh, in uh, businesses, in every phase of life today, this type of man. And... Uh, and it's sad to say that. And this criminal represents the world that mocks Christ. Not only the atheists and agnostic and skeptics, but world religions and cults, all of them, you know, mock Christ in their own way. And this first man on the cross, who was an unregenerate, unredeemed man, is lost and need to be saved. And he's right by Jesus, right next to Jesus. You know what Paul says in uh, but that great Mars Hill message in Acts 17? He says, he's not far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. He's right near to us. But you know what? I'm going to say this in closing because uh, our time is just about out with this message. But you not know that. People can be right in front of death and Jesus and still reject them. Here's a man getting ready to die, this unregenerate man, getting ready to die and his greatest opportunity to accept Jesus. And what does he do? He rejects Jesus. He's, uh, he lets the unregenerate nature, and I don't know who you are out there listening to this message tonight, but you don't have to be on your deathbed because death can take you when you're healthy. Do you not know that? It can take you when you're healthy. And 
I'm going to say this in closing. I remember uh, as a young man talking to my wife's grandfather on his deathbed, and he was a racist, and he uh, was an angry man on his deathbed. And I asked the people at the hospital, let me go in and see him. I was only in my late 20s. I said, let me go in and see him so I can pray for him. That man, didn't. he was on his deathbed. He still had a little bit of his faculties, but he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, me, and he was cursing like a sailor at his wife, calling her all sorts of expletives. And I told him, I said, this is your last opportunity to accept Jesus. <laughs> but you know, he kept on doing it, kept on doing it. Went right into a Christless eternity. And there's a lot of people like that today, right on their deathbed, walking around as death zombies and don't know Jesus. And he's not far from any one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. So I'm going to say to you tonight, uh, reach out to Jesus. He's right there. And you're going to pray this prayer with me. We're going to have you pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, forgive me for rejecting you, being in the middle of my life. Help me, Lord, right now to accept you as my Savior and Lord and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Gary. Well, all right. It's time for us to take that commercial break. Our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. That number is one 888 That's 1-888-367-5329. Don't be shy. Pick up that phone. Give us a call. We'll be right back with more of Contending for the Faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the bay. If you have questions about your faith in Christ, theology, doctrine, or the cults, call us now, 888-FOR-KFAX. That's 888-367-5329. Well, welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area Pastor, Lecturer, Counselor, and Expert on the Cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. I'm Gary Bell. And once again... Our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. That number is one 888 That's 1-888-367-5329. Again, don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We want to hear from you tonight. That number again is one 888 And once again, we'd like to thank all of you who have been praying for contending for the faith. We can't thank you enough because we know it's your prayers that are, are moving heaven and earth to keep us on the air, and we appreciate it so much. And we also want to thank those of you who have partnered with us financially over the many years to keep the program on the air. It cost us 400 a week uh, in terms of our airtime, and right now we're running behind to the tune of $675, and we need your help to retire this debt. So we know that uh, uh, many of you are are really ready and poised to hit a home run for this ministry to keep it on the air. 
summertime is always a tremendous struggle for ministries like ours. Uh, people like to go on vacation and they take a vacation briefly from their giving at times. And we don't want you to do that and come back and find out that we're no longer on the air. So it's important that we remain consistent in prayer and consistent in our giving. There's two ways you can donate. Uh, number one, you can address a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon is spelled T-I-B-U-R, excuse me, T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. But the second way is so much easier. Just go online to contendingfaith.org contendingfaith.org. Click on the donate button and you will be a blessing for time and eternity. All right, Dr. Buckner, ready to go to these uh, callers. Looks like all our lines are lit right now. Yes, let's uh, definitely do that, Brother Gary. Okay, well, we we have Megan and we asked her to call at the top of the hour and she did, so we're going to get her on first. Hey, man, how you doing, Megan? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, we're truly blessed. Um, good to hear your voice, and we're glad that you called back again. And uh, address your question again to us. Yeah, so what is our rebuttal against people who are non-believers and uh, want to argue with the theory of evolution against uh, Genesis? Well, thank you so much. That's a very good question. Uh, and there are uh, many people out there who are evolutionists, and Sad to, sad to say, there are even theistic evolutionists. You ever heard of that term? No, I haven't. Yeah, theistic evolution are people who actually claim to be Christians, and many of them are, and they teach that uh, God used the process of evolution to bring about homo sapien men, a man. Mankind. So uh, I had a professor uh, in seminary who taught this. And I always tell people when you go to seminary, Bible seminary, you better make sure that you're grounded in the Word of God uh, because you're going to get everything thrown at you and, and you need to have a foundation, uh, even in seminary, Bible college, because uh, different professors believe in different things. So very few people know about theistic evolution. So uh, that is uh, Christian people claiming that God used the process of monkey town USA to bring about, uh, you know, homo sapiens. Now, um, so your question is a very important question, and it needs to be answered uh, from a biblical standpoint and an apologetic standpoint. Let me just give you several responses to this. And I'm going to try to make it as simplistic as possible. Take the complexity and make it into simplicity. It's because a lot of times when uh, scholars talk about evolution, they lose a lot of people because they use big terms and uh, big uh, evolutionary terms and scientific terms. And I'm going to try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf like Jay Gwendolyn says so that the kitties can reach them. Now, uh, we want to, number one, uh, when we're dealing with an evolutionist, 
we want to, number one, and you can make a note of this, and people that are listening make a note of this, because <clears throat> this is a good question, and we haven't had a question like this, I believe, in a long time. But number one, we always want to start off with something that the evolutionists hate. And what do they hate? They hate Genesis 1 and 1. They hate Genesis 1 and 1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It didn't say in the beginning evolution. It says in the beginning God. And so uh, we need to remember that. It doesn't say in the beginning uh, a swirl of uh, a slime, a mass of slime got together and brought man into existence. But Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God, we got to emphasize God, created everything that exists, ex nihilo, and that means out of nothing. He was the one who stepped out on nothing, grabbed a handful of nothing, threw nothingness into everything, and it became a universe. So the evolutionists hate Genesis 1 and 1. And even if they say, <clears throat> well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, the Bible is true. And even though if you don't want to believe in it, it's a historical fact. And it has witnesses, and there's no other book that can compare to the Bible. So the evolutionists hate Genesis 1 and 1, and wish they could rip that first page, that first page out of the Bible, because if they can, then they can rip all of the other 65 books uh, out of the pages of Scripture. Uh, and the evolutionists hate Genesis 1 and 1 because it holds them accountable. A lot of people don't mention that word accountable. It holds them accountable to a God who will one day, who created them, will also judge them for their sins. And they want to do everything they can to avoid that. Now, that's the first point. Number two, they have no answer for the differences. Make a note of this, everybody listening. They have no answer for the differences between microevolution and macroevolution. Now, microevolution is the right one. Uh, am I still there? Yes, you are. Okay, I heard some, something there that fit. So microevolution, it is the right one, which transforms within one's kind. In other words, God made in Genesis everything after its own kind and nothing from another kind. In other words, in Genesis 1 and 25, this is the thing that goes with transitional forms and microevolution. Uh, Genesis 1, 25, and God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after its his kind. And God saw that it was good. So, the microevolution has never been debunked. It is something that the evolutionists cannot, cannot deal with. And then when you talk about uh, macroevolution, this is the wrong one. This is transitional forms from one unto another. This is no biblical evidence for this, nor scientific evidence for that. So you want to bring to the attention the, the, the proof around microevolution versus macro. Now, the third thing and the last thing is this. Uh, Charles Darwin, the father of evolution, was a racist. 
all forms of racism started with Charles Darwin and evolution. Uh, Adolf Hitler uh, and was influenced by Charles Darwin, uh, white supremacists that started slavery uh, and uh, others and white races, black races, brown races, yellow races, they all was influenced by Charles Darwin and evolution. And uh, Adolf Hitler even made it clear that he was uh, a deep follower of Charles Darwin. Now, last thing on this is this, before we go to a commercial break. Charles Darwin wrote a book called The Descent of Man, The Descent of Man by Charles Darwin. And this book taught that blacks are a lower species or an inferior species than the white race. And you can see why uh, Adolf Hitler uh, and many races even today use this platform of teaching. So hopefully that gives you some uh, good ammunition. Uh, I'm trying to be as basic as I can because uh, this subject can be very uh, difficult to try to communicate but I wanted to give you the best uh, meat that you can use to feed to an ungodly, atheistic world. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Um, I'll probably have to run back and listen to more of this so I can do a little bit more research on uh, my own, but I definitely appreciate you breaking it down. You know, there's, oh, you're welcome. there's something I wanted to add real quickly. Actually, we need to go to a commercial break. Maybe we can talk about it on we come back. Um, so let's get ready to go to our commercial break. Our phone lines are open. Uh, we want to hear from you. That number is one eight 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 F O R K F A X. That's one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Again, don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. We have time uh, in the broadcast to entertain your questions and comments and concerns. We'll be right back with more contending for the faith. You're listening to Contending for the Faith on AM 1100 KFAX, the spirit of the bay. If you have questions about your faith in Christ, theology, doctrine, or the cults, call us now, 888-FOR-KFAX. That's 888-367-5329. Welcome back to Contending for the Faith with your host, Bay Area Pastor, Electric Council, and expert on the cults, Dr. Jerry L. Buckner. I'm Gary Bell. Once again, our phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. That number is one 888 F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's one 367 5329 And we'd just like to thank you again for all your prayers and all your wonderful support over these last almost 20 years of us being on the air. It's such a tremendous honor to every week uh, be able to bring God's word and God's truth to you. And we appreciate all your prayers and we appreciate all your financial support. Uh, this is a prayer-driven ministry, and it's also a listener-supported ministry. And so we thank you so much for uh, your generosity in both areas. Right now, we need your help to retire a debt of $675. Uh, it costs us 400 a week to remain on the air, and so we need to uh, make sure we get that retired so these things don't pile up on us. Um, we just want to encourage you. Uh, there's two ways that you can donate. 
You can write a check or money order to Contending for the Faith, Post Office Box 553, Tiburon, California, 94920. That's Contending for the Faith, P.O. Box 553, Tiburon, spelled T-I-B-U-R-O-N, California, 94920. The second way, so much easier, guys, just go online to contendingfaith.org. That's contendingfaith.org. Click on the Donate button, and it's that simple. You will be a blessing for time and eternity. All right, Dr. Buckner, you ready to go to our next caller? I guess we uh, we're gonna we were gonna circle back around to Megan, but we she dropped off, so I think we can go to our second caller. Yes, Rick. I just want to say this before you get to the uh, the uh, second caller. Just quickly uh-huh. for Megan, we just didn't have time for this, but I had taught a class uh, on apologetics at the East Bay Baptist Association office. So um, I just want to encourage people, you and I were talking about intelligent design, you know, and that's a, a critical word too, because when you talk about micro evolution, it just destroys the whole idea that transitional form of form from another. And the evolutionists have never been able to debunk that. And let me but, just been here for a second, that, that transitional is what you mean is when one species jumps to another, in other words, an animal or a, or a fish jumps out of the water and begins to crawl, or a, a lizard jumps up on a tree and starts becoming a monkey. You got all these big leaps. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Because it, they, they yeah. cannot uh, jump from one uh, thing species to another. To another. Species yes. to another. It has to be within the transition. So that's why when it says God made everything after its own kind. That's right. transitional. That's right. transitional. You have, yeah, you transitional have. forms within one right. time. And so right. that has been the biggest nightmare for the evolutionists. Now, when you get into intelligent design, just throw this out and people can do the research that we want to get to the next caller. There is uh, these terms, and I'm not going to get into all of them right now, the teleological argument where they use the clock to talk about the intelligent. A clock is done by a very brilliant person, and it had to be a tremendous intelligence to put everything into existence. Then you have the cosmological argument where, you know, the cosmos didn't come from nothing. Everything in the world has been made by some intelligent, and God is the great intelligent. And then the ontological argument, that's where uh, it talks about the being of God and everything is into being because God brought it into being. That's why Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then you have the fourth one, this is four of them and all that the theologians and apologists have used all of these throughout history, is the moral law. And that is that along with the intelligence that God has put in man, his conscience as an intelligence. So his conscience bears witness to God's existence. So when we when we talk about intelligence, we, we talk about intelligence, but we don't refer to a man's intelligence come from God's intelligence. And my uh, philosopher teacher, Dr. Cunningham, at seminary, he made the statement from Romans chapter 2, there's no such thing as an atheist or an evolutionist, because every man has a sense of oughtness in his conscience. He knows what he ought to do and what he ought not to do because God has put that intelligence in man to of his existence. So that's the moral law. 
So when you look at all of these points of intelligence, I would encourage everybody to do research on that because it will it will enlighten you tremendously those four points. So we'll get to our next caller, but just want to bring that out. All right. Well, uh, Brother Rick is waiting on line two. Brother Rick, how you doing? I'm blessed. How yourself? That's a good thing you taught on evolution. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, uh, some good stuff. Well, hopefully people who are listening tonight got tremendously blessed by it because sooner or later you're going to run across them and you need to know, have some answers. That's what First Peter 3 and 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you to a reason to hope this in you with meekness and fear. What is on your heart tonight, Brother Rick? Okay, Jesus says something in Mark four twelve, and I'd like to get some clarification on that. Okay, well, let me go to Mark four and twelve here. Mark uh, four, chapter four, and verse twelve, and seeing that they may see, and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sin should be forgiven them. Uh, this particular verse of scripture, and this is a good question on that to get clarification. This particular scripture uh, has uh, confused some people, many people. And what we're going to try to do is take the fusion out of confusion because they try to uh, allege that Jesus wants people to be converted, but here it's he seems to be saying the opposite of wanting people to be converted, because it says here, at lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Well, what is going on in the context here? We have to look at everything in the context. Remember, R.A. Torrey said, a text taken out of its context becomes a pretext for error. So uh, in the context, Jesus is dealing with uh, religious leaders, and uh, he is uh, referring to Matthew 13, 3 and 13, and uh, also John 3 and 19. You can put these two together with it. But, um, and then also it's related to Isaiah 6 and verses 9 and 10, uh, talking about unbelievers uh, regarding uh, Jesus have been kept into darkness because of their unbelief. This is kind of like a similar situation to what uh, Stephen was dealing with in Acts chapter 7. Uh, why, you know, he talked about why do you consistently resist the power of the Holy Spirit? And then you got a parallel to this mentality uh, with Pharaoh, God hardened his heart. You know, because he baked his own heart and God just allowed it to be baked. Well, the religious leaders had no desire to be converted. That was the last thing on their mind because they thought Jesus was a heretic. They thought he was a, against the, everything that God represented. And Jesus got to the point where he just simply said, uh, they don't want to be converted. They don't have no desire to or to be forgiven. So he's talking in the context of rebellious, stubborn, religious leaders who are in darkness. In other words, 
when you look at John 3 and 19, that's why I brought that up. It talks about how they don't come to the truth, Jesus said, because they love darkness more than the light, lest their deeds may be made manifest. They don't have a desire. There's some people like that in the world. They don't have a desire to be converted, no desire to have their sins forgiven. And Jesus saw this because over and over in the scripture it says that he knew what was in the heart of man. And he knew those who wanted him and those who didn't, didn't want him. And he just simply baked their desire and simply saying, they don't want to be converted. They don't want to have their sins forgiven. So I'm just going to bake them in it, just like I did with Pharaoh. So that's what the, the verse of scripture is referring to. And hopefully that has helped to bring some clarification. Yeah, I'm noticing that and reading all around it, that Jesus is beginning the parables. Yes. And then the parables are not going to be understood by those who don't want to be converted anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point in relationship okay. to this. And he well. tells the parables that the parables are basically for the believers mm -hmm. to come to a better understanding. Absolutely. And not for, those who, not for those who don't want it in the first place. Right. To those that, to, to those that um, have a hard time understanding, many of them just don't want to understand. Yes, absolutely. Well, hopefully that uh, helped you with some insight. We're going to get try to get two more callers in, but thank you so much for your call and your question, as always. God bless. God bless. Brother Gary. All right, let's go to Alfred. He's been waiting patiently. Brother Alfred, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you and uh, your partner, Gary Bell, you two are doing a good job. Well, thank you so much. Continue to pray for us that God will continue to use us uh, always for his glory. We appreciate that. We thank you for uh, your prayers for us and your support as well. Yeah, I have a, um, a scripture that I wanted you to interpret. It says here in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, talking to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, could you interpret that for me? Yes, that's a good question. Well, Thomas is asking Jesus the question uh, in verse 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest or how we can know the way. So Thomas is asking the question, how can we know the way? And Jesus is answering him in the next verse by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what Jesus is saying is that he is the way of life. He is the way of truth. He is the way of everything in life. And that there is no other way there's no other truth, and there's no other life. You know, we have religions all over the world, all across this world, and we have cults, and they're talking about they are the way, they are the truth, and they are the life, and false religions too. And Jesus here is debunking all of that because 
really, he's narrowing everything down to him. You got to come to him to get to the Father. Because he says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That shuts down everything that man says is you're supposed to go this route and that route. No, Jesus shuts it all down and says he's the only route to God, the Father. And the thing that's so heavy about this as well, he doesn't say, I am a the show. I am an aspect of the truth, an aspect of the life. I am the way. And what's so heavy about this is that the writers that followed Jesus taught the same thing. Because you go to Acts 4 and 12, Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, only with Jesus. There's no, no other name under heaven by which we get saved. And then Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, in Jude 3 says, the faith has been once and for all delivered unto the saints. So once, he didn't say twice, it's been once delivered unto the saints. Why were they talking like this? Because Jesus taught them that he's the way, the truth, and life. Now, uh, something quite interesting I want to share with this as well. You know, one of the greatest ways to to witness to a Muslim and a cult and a false religion is to pose this scripture at them because they don't like it. They don't like John 14 and 6. And uh, I remember having Dr. Norman Geisler. He's passed on now. He was one of the greatest apologists. I had him on my radio program many years ago. And he and I was dialoguing on John 14 and 6. And somebody called in and they asked him the question about what is one of the greatest ways to talk to a, a Muslim? And Dr. Norman Geisler said, well, you know, every false religion, they believe that Jesus is a prophet and that prophets cannot lie. <laughs> well, if that's true, Jesus was a great prophet and he cannot lie, then they have to settle for John 14 and 6. I am the way the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. That settles it all. That shuts it all down, and you can't not get around that at all. Gary, you want to add to this as well? I don't think there's much to add to that. I mean, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Speaking of the name of Jesus, you can add that to it. But John 14 and 6, there it is. Amen. Very true. Uh, hopefully, uh, Alfred, that uh, gives you some extra meat on that, that verse of scripture and take it, man, and use it with some other people. Awesome. Thank you. All right. We appreciate your calls and your questions as well. Got All right. We've got two minutes left, and maybe we can get CC one of those minutes. All right. Brother CC, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? Oh, we're blessed. We're blessed. Good to hear your voice again as well. And uh, let me just kind of comment on uh, what we talked about last uh, week uh, about the, the seventh day. Uh, and because we only have about a minute left, and then uh, next week we'll uh, uh, get into your next question. But uh, the, the, the chapter that you're talking about, 
is Exodus 34 and verse 21. Uh, and everything uh, stopped on the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day, the slaves, and not only the slaves and non-slaves, just, just couldn't work. They just didn't work. And seven means completion. But uh, unfortunately, we hear the music and we got to go. But we'll get you at the top next time uh, because you're at the bottom. We're going to bring you at the top next week, okay? No problem. I, I understand. I understand. Oh, good. Appreciate you, brother. Right. Well, we've come to the end of tonight's exciting broadcast, and we'd like to thank Mentor Engineer and you, our listening audience, for being part of tonight's program. Uh, please keep us in your prayers until next week at this time when we once again give you the opportunity to ask questions, make comments, and dialogue with Dr. Buckner always with one purpose in mind to equip, exhort, and better enable you to contend for the faith. I'm Gary Bell. May God richly bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.